Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here and joining me from Pro Football Focus, Dr. Eric Eager. How are you, Eric? I'm doing well. How about you? You still get the doctor even though you're not teaching anymore, right? That doesn't go away. At the at the PFF holiday party, uh, that I like, there was like a gag, a bunch of gag awards and I won one and they made sure to stick in the doctor, I think, as sort of like a, just to make sure. But no, I normally don't, uh, normally don't impose that uh, on people. Well, I think that you get to have that forever. Like that education does not go away for you, even though you are now solely focused on football and not as much on uh, teaching the youth anymore. Anyway, so the reason I brought you on was not to analyze your doctorate. Uh, it was more to uh, talk about football. And the quarterback annual has come out now for Pro Football Focus. And this is something that you guys started last year and it yeah. is an unbelievable resource and i really mean that i, I mean the, the amount of detail on every quarterback starting quarterback in the nfl and others who played a significant amount is truly incredible and i spent last off season using it a ton as a resource to analyze what the minnesota vikings were getting in kirk cousins and a lot of the things that were brought up or a lot of the numbers that pointed to certain things with kirk last year in the PFF quarterback annual came to fruition again this year. So let me start by just asking you the first and most interesting statistic that stuck out to you about Kirk Cousins data. Uh, for me, and, and this was something we talked about, I think, pre, you know, as the weeks are going by, but literally how conservative Kirk Cousins was. Um, his positively graded throw rate, so the number of uh, the percentage of throws where we would give him an upgrade in our system, is 31st among 35 quarterbacks. Um, his negatively graded throw rate is third best. So really, like, so we always think of Kirk as somebody who like throws interceptions at the wrong time and has, you know, kind of it can make beautiful throws. But ultimately, what ended up happening was he was very restricted in terms of like the outcomes that you know, he was generating. And I think that that's why the Vikings offense didn't necessarily reach the highest highs and that he didn't take as many chances. And then he didn't like make a lot of, you know, really like I would say superlative plays. 
So how similar was this to what we saw from Sam Bradford in 2016? And I think that part of that conversation, too, is how much might have been impacted by the offensive line. That is something that is just endlessly being talked about here in the offseason for the Vikings as we go back through what happened and look toward how to make Kirk Cousins better and put more around him and bringing in uh, a new system again with uh, Gary Kubiak and Kevin Stefanski. That that's the big question: is can you change this that that really uh, exceptionally conservative approach? Because even when you look at the NFL Next Gen stats, they have an aggressiveness statistic, and some of these are, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're questionable at times. But in terms of only throwing to the open receivers, it was clear from that data that he was only throwing it when somebody was wide open. So I, I'm curious if you think that it was sort of a Sam Bradford-style thing that we're going to see going forward no matter what, or if this can change. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about Bradford back in, in 2016 was he was all, like Kirk is the 13th best quarterback in terms of passer grade under pressure and, and passer rating under pressure. I think it was even higher. And, you know, Bradford was similar. I think Bradford was like second pass rating under pressure in that weird year of 2016. So they even got, I think, better production than they probably should have given the, the distribution of pressure that, that the quarterback was under. Um, to me, it, you know, I think, I think it is very similar. I think that the offense felt, you know, uh, unsatisfied. You know, you, you go into a – and you talked about points per drive statistics. It's exactly the right way to look at it. When the Vikings got the ball in 2016 under Bradford, it's like, gosh, we're going to have to, you know, sell – we're going to have to sell off a bunch of things just to get a field goal here. And when you have a quarterback like Kirk, who doesn't produce big plays necessarily as much as he should, uh, despite his supporting cast, it does feel like that. Every single drive feels like – I mean – you and I would laughing with each other in 2016 over like that, you know, first drive in Detroit on Thanksgiving and the Vikings needed like seven penalties to go their way. They needed Matt Asiata to get a positive gain for once. And eventually 2018, it turned out to be that way with the Kirk Vikings. And so hopefully, you know, if, if they're going to succeed moving forward, he has to be more aggressive and he has to, you know, test those, those receivers downfield because they are a couple of the league's best. Yeah, adding to that, the pro football focus statistic that Sam Monson tweeted out that Stefan Diggs was third this year in contested catches. He was first last year. The difference was that Case Keenum allowed him to go up and get the ball contested a lot more than Kirk Cousins did. And I don't know if that's something you can necessarily change because Kyle Shanahan had a quote about it. And Shanahan was a huge Kirk Cousins fan, loved working with him in Washington. But Kyle Shanahan said, we know he only throws it when the guys are open. And I think that that's very clear now when you watch quarterbacks, which guys have the anticipation to throw guys open. You see it from Phillip Rivers all the time. Tom Brady is a guy who brilliantly has done it now for how many ever years. And you see Jared Goff maybe necessarily isn't. And that doesn't mean that you can't win with Jared Goff, but Goff needed some big plays, needed some help to get there. But it's a, I think that there's something with quarterbacks that is sort of intrinsic to the person. Does he have that anticipation in his throws or not? Would you agree with that? Yeah, and you look at it with Patrick Mahomes, some of his biggest throws this year for Kansas City. You know, many would say, oh, that's a risky pass. That's a, you know, he's putting the ball in harm's way too much. But if you actually watch those, those, he's throwing it to the shoulder that's away from the defensive back, right? He's throwing... He, he's throwing the ball so that Tyreek Hill's path to the ball takes him away from defenders, right? And, 
And, you know, and that's part of just that instinct that I don't necessarily know if you can teach. Uh, I do, it's probably a product of, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, experience and everything, which Kirk already has. And that I think is the, the difficult thing in terms of projecting him forward is we already kind of know who he is. Um, but it, it's absolutely something that the great, the great quarterbacks have, you know, and you can scheme around. I think with, with golf, he's played pretty well, but I don't think he's in that class yet. You can sort of scheme around it. Um, the Vikings certainly didn't last year. And I think that golf showed something in that NFC championship game. Uh, a quick reaction time on a few plays that were blown up, uh, a toughness, a resiliency when they got down that he kept battling. And those are things that you can make up for some shortcomings because only a couple of quarterbacks are perfect in the NFL and everybody else uh, is going to be in that next category. But when you have a great offense around you and you have that resilience and toughness that Goff has, you can end up in the Super Bowl. And, and I don't question... Kirk Cousins toughness he took a lot of hits and he got back up this year and and I think he did a spectacular job when he was under pressure for a big chunk of the season it's the other part of it though the resilience part is short for me that when they get down I think that he could put up some numbers but it's not somebody that you believe in in the second half of a one score game that's going to be able to bring you back and the numbers bear that out as well Uh, but there, there are a few things in terms of projecting him forward though that would concern i think anyone when you look at them especially with the price tag and unfortunately you can never remove the player from the price tag when it's this much the grade from the clean pocket we talked so often about you know the pressure that he's getting the offensive line mike remmers like just endlessly talking about how the offensive line impacted him but when you look at his grade when he was kept clean it's 22nd out of 35 explain kind of what that means, Eric. Yep. And if if you have a PFF QB annual, I believe it's page like eight. So we go through kind of like, what are the most predictable aspects of quarterback play? And one of the, one of the ones that sort of always pops out is how a quarterback does from a clean pocket is his most stable trait and how he does without play action is another stable trait. And then on the flip side, how he does when pressured isn't how he does without with play action isn't and so you know when you look at like a lot of the stuff that we were worried about with Kirk ended up not materializing Kirk Cousins passer rating in the red zone this year was over 110 right so he improved in that situation and what what that amounts to is I think a lot of noise like so his passer rating in the red zone was 114.7 previous years was about 80 85 his passer rating on third down above league average Um, those things though Football is built on a lot of high leverage situations that are low sample size. And so, you know, with him, like he, he met those expectations, but what really happened is on throw for throw when it, from a clean pocket, you could really determine how good a quarterback is. And, you know, he was basically, you know, below league average in that situation from a PFF grade perspective. His pass rating was fine because, you know, he's got good, uh, he's got good receivers and everything, but ultimately, you know, that's what we looked at last year and that's what we're looking at this year. And, and ultimately that stays pretty stable over the years and it doesn't paint a great picture for, you know, Kirk Cousins in terms of like where he's going to go in terms of moving this Vikings offense forward. And in terms of winning, I've been reading Bruce Arian's book and he talks about the reason that he loved to tell quarterbacks that they have control of the plays they're going to use on third down, that those were the plays that they would go over is because third down is where quarterbacks shine, especially third and long. And the numbers bear that out as well, that we see if you search uh, 
I use Pro Football Reference for this. You, you use the play index, and you can look up years and years of third down performance, third and long, and what you see is the Tom Brady's, the Peyton Manning's, Ben Roethlisberger's, Drew Brees. In other situations, they might look like they're just pretty good, but third down and especially longer than six yards, there's really no question. When they're forced to throw the ball, they're at their best. And the third down grade for Kirk Cousins was 23rd, and he was one of the worst in the league in terms of passer rating on third down and more than six yards. And with those things, that's been fairly consistent with him throughout his career. With those things, Eric, that's where I wonder if even improving the supporting cast around him might not have as much of an impact as we think in the situations that matter the most. Yeah, I mean that, and that's that's huge, right? Because you you need, and that was always the 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 ploy when when the cousins, you know, when the contract was 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 signed, was that you know, yes, he had some issues in 2017 with Washington. Yes, he's not a top five quarterback. Yes, you know, he needed a lot of play action in Washington to succeed. Yes, he needed two tight ends in Washington to succeed. But in Minnesota, we have two of the best wide receivers in the NFL. We have, you know, uh, up and coming offensive coordinator in John DiFilippo. We have a running back who's coming off an ACL, but extremely talented. And we have an offensive line that at least with Case Keenum was good enough in 2017. And ultimately what it ended up, and, and this was the quote that uh, you always remind me of with, uh, with Jay Gruden in Washington. Ultimately the record reflected how the quarterback played mm-hmm. and, and, and almost specifically down to how the quarterback played in stable situations. And, and, and ultimately for the Vikings, it was that, you know, Kirk, you know, simply wasn't good enough in those situations. And, and, you know, oftentimes you can sort of explain away bad seasons by under pressure or explain great seasons by unstable things. But in this situation, you can explain the Vikings mediocrity last season offensively by, you know, Kirk's mediocrity in, in, you know, stable situations. And, and I think about it for this season in terms of two different ways. One, why weren't they competing for a Super Bowl? Why weren't they in the NFC Championship? Versus why didn't they make the playoffs? Why wouldn't they be in the Super Bowl? Well, they don't have an offensive line to play in the Super Bowl. They don't have a running game to play in the Super Bowl. You would have needed a lot more there. And maybe not a a perfect defense. Those are the things you would have needed from him. So it wasn't just on him. You would have needed other areas to be better. How about a better kicker, maybe? Uh, but, uh, when you look at why they went eight, seven and one versus maybe nine, six and one, or maybe 10, five and one, uh, there were plenty of opportunities for him to come through in these spots. And I think you could see on paper, the areas where he didn't come through were the ones that were so harmful to their chances to win. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like you, like you talked about all those other situations were good enough in 2017 and they were situations that uh, fans and would chase, right? So your defense is the best in the league. Your offensive line plays pretty well. Your offensive coordinator is great, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then you slide a quarterback like Kirk in there, and you probably do compete for a Super Bowl. But as we said previously, like those things are not things you can count on every year. A top defense loses a cornerback like Mike Hughes for the season early on. They lose Everson Griffin midseason. They're not as you know, play callers don't often meet expectations and so on and so forth. And so then it ends up being, you know, a situation where now the Vikings are fighting for their playoff hopes. And, and again, when you put a court, you know, and when it comes down to one game needing, you know, needing a quarterback to face one of the best defenses, in the NFL, uh, you know, that's, that's tough. And that's, and I think that's one of the most disappointing things is that, you know, the, 
upteen times, Seattle, Chicago twice, Green Bay once, although he came through for them on that Sunday night game. We were repeatedly told this is why the Vikings got Kirk Cousins. This is why the Vikings got Kirk Cousins. And ultimately, um, you know, it, it didn't work out because of, of all the things we've discussed. So I'm thinking a lot about how to improve the margins of Kirk Cousins. I don't think that you're going to change the core of him, but let's say that 80% of Kirk Cousins is going to be exactly the same because he is who he is after a four-year sample of this guy playing quarterback, but 20%, and maybe that's too high, but let's even say 10% of him you can change and alter, and I think that that does show up in the numbers. One area where I was looking, Eric, is when he has 2.5 or less seconds to throw the ball and his previous numbers for his career 2015 16 17 he averaged over seven yards per attempt with less than 2.5 seconds which means he's basically catching the ball and getting rid of it quick he had better numbers in the past in those situations and i think of that as scheme has a lot to do with that that uh, john d filippo's offense was very ineffective when it came to creating screen pass yardage for him just cheap and easy yards and cheap and easy big plays that we saw Case Keenum get over and over and over again under Pat Shermer. We did not see that same benefit for Kirk Cousins. And I notice, and this just speaks to the level of detail that uh, the folks at PFF put together. He was a below average accuracy thrower on screens, but he wasn't so below average that they couldn't succeed on them. So, you know, I think that when we're talking about how much he could be better, with not having Laquan Treadwell as his number three receiver, let's say, and with a better scheme on short passes, that those to me are the two areas, maybe even more so than just who plays right guard, that could help him succeed more. Yeah, and absolutely. And and to flip that, so the under two point five seconds, you know more about a quarterback. It's easier to project over two point five seconds. He actually was pretty good this season, 100 passer rating, 76% accuracy, essentially taking out drops and things like that. And again, I think that speaks to some of the receivers, you know, in, in uh, non-structure, whereas, uh, as you said, under 2.5 seconds, you're sort of looking at scheme and, and how a quarterback fits into that scheme. And, and I think that's why it's a little bit more stable because oftentimes, you know, coaches do a good job of, of taking their quarterback and making sure that like he's, you know, he, he's comfortable with the system. And I just don't think that ever happened last year. I mean, when you fall a full yard per attempt, uh, from one season to the next, that's substantial, especially given, you know, the, the talent level they have offensively. The, the interesting thing, and I was talking to you to, to this, um, uh, with you off air is that the, the, the interesting one was in the 47 attempts that he threw to Laquan Treadwell, Treadwell's 2.34 average time to throw on those plays. That was, those are intentional passes, right? When you look at Diggs and Diggs was 2.41, so quick, but not as quick. Thielen was 2.55. So out of structure, those guys are making pretty, you know, pretty substantial plays. It seems like there were 47 attempts, for example, where the Vikings decided pre-snap or Cousins decided pre-snap to throw the ball to what is one of the worst wide receivers in the NFL statistically. That's another way that I could think the Vikings can increase on the margin, as you've talked about previously, is getting more talented players in those complementary positions. And it's amazing to see Laquan Treadwell, the passer rating throwing to him is 80.3. Thielen, yep. Diggs, Rudolph, and even Aldrick Robinson all well over 100. I mean, Adam Thielen at 115.4 on 149 targets, I mean, is pretty darn good and pretty efficient when you're throwing his way. But the fact that he would throw 47 times to a guy 
who has repeatedly sunk his quarterbacks over the last two years. I remember that Case Keenum had something like a 49 quarterback rating when throwing at Treadwell. I mean, there, there is some culpability uh, on the Vikings for playing Laquan Treadwell. That what did you see this year that you thought was going to be better than last year? And if he was, instead of a first-round pick, anything else, second-round pick, third-round pick, to me there's no way that he is in the game that much. And if you know that Kirk is going to predetermine that type of read and not change his mind based on who the receiver is, then you have to make sure that number three receiver is a heck of a lot better than Laquan Treadwell. I, I think that that is one major area where they either didn't think too close about it or just couldn't afford to keep Jarius Wright. I think if Jarius Wright's on this team, that a lot of those 47 targets, a lot of them are more efficient, that you're gaining more yards, there are fewer drops, mix a few touchdowns in, that that was one of the big things. And I guess that sort of shows you that the margin is razor thin when you have Kirk Cousins as your quarterback, that you can make it work. But if you have to you know, rob Peter to pay Paul a little bit here and let Jarius Wright go, then you don't quite have the talent around him that's necessary. Right, and, and, and Jarius Wright ended up with 41 catches in Carolina in a situation where he wasn't even like the third receiver often. You know, the, he was an afterthought, and, and even there, and he ended up making plays as he did in Minnesota for the last two years when, you know, they tried to diminish him in the offense. So he's certainly somebody I think they missed on. You know, he, you know, he was a highish pick, you know, fourth round pick in 2012. I don't think he ever met those expectations early on. But, but, you know, the perfect being the enemy of good, I think that they used that against him for the, you know, the remaining two or three years of his, of his time in Minnesota. And that was, ended up being a mistake. The interesting thing about Treadwell is like his yards per catch was like eight points. I mean, it would have made like Amp Lee would have like had a better yards per catch for the Vikings as a running back out of the backfield <laughs> back in the day. And, and, and it was, you know, their third receiver, a guy that they gave 47 targets to. I mean, that's, that's outrageous. I, you know, and, and so, I do think that that's a big, you know, and tight ends don't grow on trees. I mean, you have to, it's not enough to just say, oh, we'll get a, a, a move tight end to be the third option, or we're going to get a, you really do have to like stockpile with wide receivers and the Stacey Coley's of the world. And, and those folks really haven't worked out. So um, it'd be interesting to see where this franchise would be if you know, they did luck into Thielen and Diggs, uh, you know, a few, a few short years ago. So the deeper I dive into this thing, the more that has been added, and it really is incredible. You even have the distribution of the looks of the quarterback. Did he go to his first read, second yep. read, a check down, scramble? And uh, I found it, I think, the most interesting and not surprising that Cousins was 71% on the first read and that the league average is below that. And you know, when it came to the scramble, he's a little below the average, he didn't do that very often. And, uh, you know, I think that that's one thing that now opponents understand about Kirk Cousins really well is that first read is where he's going. And the New England Patriots found ways to confuse his first reads. And then I, I thought things fell apart after that in that Patriots game. And I have a, a theory on this, Eric, and uh, I don't know how you feel about a team going no huddle all the time, but where. Kirk, I thought was his best this year a few different times was when they went no huddle and it seemed like the defenses couldn't quite have the same amount of, uh, I don't know, sort of masquerading what they were going to do and that type of thing when he was going no huddle. It's like Gary Kubiak and Kevin Stefanski's, one of their top goals has to be to figure out how to counteract opponents 
scheming for Kirk Cousins, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you, so. One of the things, so you know, and and this is tough, right? Because when you when you sign a quarterback to that type of deal, you sort of have to. You, it becomes silly when you start to think of like the Sean McVay getting Jared Goff to the line early and basically telling him what to do until the the shot clock gets to 15 seconds. Right. Cause like that makes sense when the guy's young and green, it doesn't make sense when you've just mortgaged the future on him. Right. Like that yeah. player should be impervious to help. However, I think the key is, and as you described, I think the key moving forward for them with cousins is to be basically say, listen, like this didn't work last year and we're going to give you a lot of help. And whether that help is, you know, multi, you know, checks at the line of scrimmage to, you know, ha- allow you to check into runs um, or, or not, right. Less freedom, more freedom, that kind of thing. But also just again, simply put, making the defense uh, off their toes, you know, more often than not, we saw that with, with cousin, you know, with Keenum in 20, 2017 with Shermer, like there were a ton of plays where it was total gotcha, you know, McKinnon, you know, McKinnon squeaking out of the backfield for, you know, wide open for 40 yards or, you know, uh, David Morgan's touchdown against Cleveland comes to mind. You know, all those plays were like, there's just plays where, you know, the offensive coordinator completely gets the defense uh, off guard. And, and I think there were fewer of those this year and, and they trusted Cousins to overcome a lot. And I think moving forward, they're going to, as you said, I think have to make a, a situation where everything is right for him. And, and, and it starts again with, you know, Stefanski and Kubiak sort of putting their heads together. Philosophically speaking, how do you feel about the idea of robbing the defense, letting Anthony Barr go, letting Sheldon Richardson go, potentially trading Trey Waynes or Xavier Rhodes if there would be a suitor for Xavier Rhodes' contract? It's really big, and he's not coming off the best year. But let's just say that reputation, someone really wants him as their cornerback, in order to beef up the offense as much as possible. Is that just going to even out, or is there more benefit to pouring resources into the offense than there would be to keeping some of those defensive players. Yeah, there was a great article on 538 by uh, my friend Josh Hermsmeyer basically going through and describing some of the stuff I've said to you, which is defense is unstable. So even if you build one, you don't know actually, like you're far less able to, to predict whether or not that's going to work for you. And and so, you know, I'm 100% philosophically in favor of, you know, if, if, if it has to come at the expense of the defense to building the offense. And so, you know, cause, cause there's a situation where, you know, you buy back Richardson, you get bar, uh, you, you, you know, extend trade. I mean, you can't do this because the cap, but like all those things. And then you get a cluster injury, two of your cornerbacks go down and it doesn't really matter how much pressure Sheldon Richardson gets because he can't cover anybody. And somebody does what the New England Patriots did to Kansas City, which is take the best pass rush in the NFL neutralize it by throwing quick and you know exposing weaknesses weaknesses on defense are so much easier to exploit than weaknesses on offense um so you know so what you should do is essentially say look listen we're gonna let the chips fall where they made defensively it's far better to be good than bad defensively um but we actually have very little in the way of predictive power in terms of telling whether or not you're going to be good or bad so let's let's make sure our offense is good because we're far more capable uh, of ensuring that Okay, I've really enjoyed this conversation, but I want to change gears to something that is near and dear to your and my heart. And that is that this weekend would have been, if John Madden was still doing John Madden things, it would have been the all-Madden team. One of the best things growing up as an NFL fan was the week between 
you got to see John Madden unveil his team, him and Pat Summerall, and they would show the highlights, and he would talk about why he loved every player this year. And since that has gone away, there is no all Tony Romo team. It just doesn't have the same pop to it. Uh, we are going to But name, wouldn't it be great, though? Uh, I don't know. Probably not. I mean, it, it, it just wouldn't be the same. Like, right, yeah, if anyone else did it, it just it's like the Gruden camp and then Russell Wilson trying to do it. It's like, nah, it's just not the same. Um, so, anyway, we are going to name our all-Madden teams. We are going to just go through basically a player, maybe two players at a position. Our favorites of the year does not have to necessarily be the highest PFF-graded player, but just favorites of the year because that is the all-purple podcast team. That's what we're doing. So, gotcha. Eric, I want to allow you to start out first with your first selection for the all-purple team at quarterback. Uh, I So th- this has to go to Andrew Luck, right? Beard, comeback from injury, uh, you know, inspiring for what is now Frank Reich's beard. <laughs> uh, and Adam Vinatieri's, I think. Adam Vinatieri, right? Uh, just like the old... Oh, golly shucks this guy you've ever met probably right uh the twitter feed of him you know the captain andrew luck all those things are like have all madden and all purple team written all over them so i'm gonna go with andrew luck i will go with young patrick mahomes because i do think john madden loved a quarterback with a big arm there was a certain quarterback in green bay that john madden was obsessed with who patrick mahomes reminded (laughs) us of this year and uh it's a little bit like you have to pull back, think for a second about quarterback play, and okay, it's it's changed a little bit and all that stuff, but but then go back and look at his numbers. 5,100 yards, 50 touchdowns, nearly nine yards a pass, one of the most remarkable quarterback seasons of all time. So I will select as my all-madden quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. Running so back. Not a, it's not a bad pick. All right, so I'm going to go. And this is a guy who I wrote extensively about because of his prowess receiving. The one that the, the one that I have to go with is James White of New England. Uh, any guy who can go into a game and catch 15 passes and carry the ball zero times is my kind of running back. <laughs> well, I know that the uh, the name that John Madden would have loved the most for a running back would be Nick Chubb. That that yes. w- that would have been that would have been his guy. But uh, in this case, I'm going to separate the snark on Twitter about drafting Saquon Barkley high from the pure entertainment value of watching Saquon Barkley play football. That uh, the the few times I got a chance to see him, he was incredible. Uh, You have the stat here, 31 rushes over 10 yards this year, 11 touchdowns, 5 yards an attempt. I mean, he was uh, as good as they expected him to be. Now, the amount of impact that uh, a running back can have on his team's success i think was shown a little bit but uh our old friend pat Shermer used him exactly how he should have been used so i will go with saquon barkley let's pick two receivers okay uh and the receivers are tough i mean there's there's 25 great receivers in the nfl right now that's right um okay so let's i'm gonna go with somebody because well a I think he's great. And B, I also think it digs at a franchise that made a mistake by allowing another person on our uh, on this team to, to go to a different team as well. But I like Robert Woods. 
I like Robert Woods as well. I actually had well, him on my on my team as well. So we have a consensus yeah, he, pick. He's a block. He's a great blocker. He runs that jet sweep really well, and then he's of course a great receiver. So uh, I like that. I also think Madden would have, and again, I'm ignoring like the top of the top. Like DeAndre Hopkins is the best non-quarterback in the NFL. Um, but uh, a guy that Madden I think would have liked because of his lack of size and his just like toughness playing through injuries in the playoffs is T.Y. Hilton. Yeah, yeah, and, and Madden loved to pick out a guy that was underrated or underappreciated or something like that, and, and throw him on the team just to give him credit. And I had one of those guys as well in Tyler Lockett this year, yes, who did that's not a very good one did not have tons of catches, but had tons of yards per catch. And the amazing stat that when Russell Wilson was throwing at Tyler Lockett, he had a one fifty eight point three rating. So you and I were thinking along the same lines of. Okay, yes, there are the star receivers, there are the, the Hopkins, the Odell Beckham, but some guys that are either underrated or bring a little more to the table. And uh, Robert Woods is, I think, maybe the most underrated player in the league. Like, how many people know Robert Woods really well? But he is terrific. Now, I don't even think the Bills knew Robert Woods very well, and he played for them for four years. Tell me about it. Uh, I think if <laughs> I think if you had a discerning eye, you could tell how good he was. But they were willing to let him walk, and he went home to Los Angeles and found a great spot. He is he is a tremendous guy, so I, I'm happy for, for him, just having been around a little bit. Um, Tyler Lockett joins the, the ranks of the Robert Meachams of the world, who also had a perfect quarterback rating on his targets in 2009 for the, for the Saints. So great, great names. So that's the only times that it's happened in the PFF era? I think so, yeah. Enough targets uh, to qualify. I think Robert Meacham was like, you know, 43 catches for like 800 yards and like nine TDs or something crazy on his targets that one year. Now, I couldn't help but laugh when I called up the tight ends on the Pro Football Focus site. The fourth graded tight end, and now this is only in a handful of targets, is Michael Pruitt. Um, (laughs) I always remove the small sample size guys, but Michael Pruitt, old friend of the Vikings, had nine catches for 102 yards this year. That's hilarious because it's a lot more than the number two tight end position for the Vikings got this year. Who is your tight end? And this is important because this is a Madden position. Yeah, this is like, this is Jay Novacek, right? This is uh, Pete, Pete, Bavaro. Mark Bavaro. Yeah. Uh, Jay Reimersma. Um, So, uh, you know, obviously like, you know, if he, so this guy was in terms of run blocking. uh, Yeah. I, so I just like the name, Luke Stalker. Luke Stalker. <laughs> That's great. He, he actually is like sixth in our grades, I think, for being like a run blocker, pass blocker. I think he actually is important to that offense, uh, but uh, certainly not a big name, but a great name. Okay, I'm going to balance this out then and go with an actual star tight end in George Kittle, a guy who yeah. nobody would recognize in the mall, but he had 88 catches this year an incredible 15 yards a catch for a tight end, which just doesn't really happen. And Nick Mullins was averaging eight yards a pass in part because he's got this spectacular tight end. He gets targeted all the time. He is a playmaker with the ball. He can run after catch. Uh, That's kind of what the Vikings have been searching for and have not really been able to find is that special tight end. Uh, maybe to go along with Kyle Rudolph or replace him. I, I'm not sure. I think that they need a number two to go with him. But what a special player George Kittle has turned out to be. 
Yeah, and and he's an example of where college production doesn't translate. You know, he did not catch that many passes at Iowa, but all the film people that you know, our friend Ethan Young, for example, was very high on Kittle, even though he didn't pop out anywhere in terms of the the, the raw statistics. And and that goes to show that sometimes you know you, that's where you have to look. You have to look at the 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 traits, as they say. For time's sake, let's just pick two offensive linemen. Okay. And this is hard. Uh, there are so many special linemen now. And one of the things that PFF has done for the world is the offensive linemen are now known, I think, by fans. Like, like you know other teams' offensive linemen. When I was growing up, you might have known, like, Walter Jones or something or Orlando yeah. <laughs> Pace. But other than that, I mean, unless you have, you know, 10,000 football cards like maybe we did, you probably didn't know the other team's offensive line. But now everybody knows these guys as stars because PFF is – brought out their talent i think yeah so to that i would so i'm going to take two tackles i think probably you know just i like i like andrew whitworth both because of you know he's in the he's helped the rams turn around their franchise he's old and he's still good um and then uh this is a little bit different so I, I yeah i can't get the image out of my head of david bakhtiari completely neutralizing everson griffin on that horrible like Christmas Eve game in Green Bay last year when the Vikings shut out Green Bay. David Bakhtiari was absolutely masterful in that role. Uh, he's a smaller guy, obviously like, you know, he's got hair that Madden would love, you know, <laughs> yes. and he just, and, and he's not like a tough run blocker. So like that's kind of, but he is absolutely brilliant in pass protection. And then obviously in a league where passing is the most efficient thing and you do it the most, uh, I think he would make it for me. So I am going to go with center Jason Kelsey, who had another amazing year, and I think yep. was incredible in their run to the Super Bowl. When you watch the offense of the Eagles, just how much value he has because of his ability to move. And when you're in the NFC and a highly graded center, you deserve even more credit because the NFC is a murderer's row of interior defensive linemen. So if you can yep. rate high as a center in the NFC, you deserve the all-purple team. And the other one, I'm going to go with a right tackle, Mitchell Schwartz, who I think is a underrated guy, but uh, only allowed 21 pressures the entire year. And I'm just, I'm, I'm impressed with Mitchell Schwartz. And I'll, I'll tell you that there's some bias there because I follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow on Twitter, so he he gets a little bit of Brother an edge of, there. But he's a great player. Brother of former Viking Mitchell uh, 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 Jeff Schwartz. Yes, correct. Yes, and, uh, and Jeff, Jeff is Schwartz even better on Twitter threw a couple of really big blocks in Adrian Peterson's 2000 yard season. So uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good one. And he, again, much like Bakhtiari, brilliant in pass protection, also very good as a run blocker. Uh, very, he's like probably, you know, full stop, a top three or four player on a chief's offense. That's the best in the league. So. Pick one interior defensive lineman, one edge rusher. Oh man. Uh, okay. Not easy. I, I got mine. If you want to think for a second. Okay, go ahead. Well, Akeem Hicks is going to be my interior defensive lineman because I watched him demolish the Minnesota Vikings uh, twice, and I think he played better than Khalil Mack in those two games. And uh, I will not pick Khalil Mack on the outside as great as he was. I will go with Daniil Hunter. I will pick him because he had 15 sacks this year and really emerged as the true superstar that he is. There were edge rushers who might have been a little better at times than Daniel Hunter as overall players, but I think Hunter showing what he uh, got paid for this year with an, a great season, I will put uh, him on my list. 
Daniel Hunter has been an absolute steal for the Vikings, both from draft capital's sake and contract. His contract is actually very team friendly. So that's pretty cool. Uh, the guy that I like is Grady Jarrett from, uh, Atlanta. Yeah. A fifth round pick out of Clemson. We, you know, always a lot of detractors going into the season. That was one of our interesting cases. You know, would he continue to emerge as one of the better defensive interiors in the league? He certainly has. He's an upcoming free agent. Uh, I really like him. Um, here's an, an all Madden guy and, and he, and, and he probably started the beginning of the end for the Vikings this season. Jerry Hughes from Buffalo. Yes. Totally. I, I love, I love that, you know, he's been around forever. You know, no one gives him a, you know, a, a ton of credit, you know, he, but he produces, he's played in the four threes, played in the three, four. He's done, you know, a ton of things. And, you know, as much as we want to make fun, he's second highest graded pass rusher this year behind D Ford. As much as we want to make fun of Buffalo at times for some of their ineptitude, they had a top five defense this season, full stop. And so, and he's a big part of that. So, and he has been for a while. So I like Jerry Hughes. I like those picks. And Jerry Hughes certainly showed everybody in Minnesota what uh, he can do that Buffalo fans have known for a long time. Um, and I also like him because he didn't get along with Doug Marone. And that, that, <laughs> like, you get points automatically from me if you didn't get along with Doug Marone linebacker is a tricky one because you can also call some of the linebackers edge rushers, but let's go only Madden style linebackers. Who is your guy? I mean, Madden would always go with a guy like Joe Schobert. You know, <laughs> yeah. I was Matt thinking Milano. Leighton Vander Esch for Madden. Yeah. Leighton Vander Esch. Um, but man, for me, like this is the best linebacker in the NFL. And I also think he deserves the all Madden team because that defense, they literally got rid of every big game player on that defense, and they still ended up making the playoffs. They still were effective. Bobby Wagner, to me, I, you know, th- in this situation, you go with the best guy because he also embodies all the stuff that Madden would have would have valued. And I will go with the guy that uh, has been great for a long time. He was excellent when the Vikings played him last year and just continues to be spectacular. There are very few linebackers that you have to kind of game plan for them, which is Luke Keekley. He is such a a great instinctual player. And what you notice about the guys who are the best is that they can cover too. And Luke Keekly for a guy who's kind of, you know, like he has that sort of like old linebacker look to him, I guess. And uh, he's not just a run stuffer. He's a great cover guy too. So I will go with Luke Keekly on this. Yeah, that's a, that's a great one. They're both those guys very good in coverage and, and that's kind of the way the NFL is going. And that's it. If you're going to be a linebacker in today's NFL and you're not going to lose your job to a safety, you have to be as good as those two guys. I will give a shout for my cornerback to a former Buffalo Bill who was highly debated when I was there. Uh, and I always liked, always thought he was very good. Stefan Gilmore will be my shutdown cornerback on the all purple team. And he is, and he is the, he is what really makes the New England Patriots go defensively. And you can see that by the way, you know, he was one of the few guys that they signed in free agency that they valued, you know, they went out and got him and he is certainly the linchpin. He's improved substantially from a season ago. Very good at man coverage, very physical. It's just a, a great player. Um, the guy that I'm going to go with, and I think it's because Madden would have just, Madden would have loved Everything he's embodied over the last week is another former Bill, Nikel Roby Coleman, the name, but also what he does in the, the modern NFL as a nickel, plays inside, tough, scrappy, not the biggest guy in the world, blitzes, covers guys out of the backfield, and then 
uh, has the self-awareness to uh, discuss the the improprieties he, he got away with on <laughs> Sunday. You know what? I actually thought about him for my all-purple Madden team as well because he's a guy that actually went through a lot in his career. He was undrafted, and I believe he lost his mother to cancer. Uh, I'm, I'm not certain on what it was that uh, she passed away of, but I think it was that. And so he's a guy who's, who's been through a lot and, and it hasn't been an easy road for him all the time. He had to fight for playing time in Buffalo. Jim Schwartz, I believe, was the first guy to really give him a chance. And then he's a guy that signed a pretty substantial contract to stay with Los Angeles after one year there and showing what he could do. A guy that uh, this podcast called for the Vikings to sign as a nickel cornerback, by the way. I've always I've always liked him, and I think that's a great pick. He's now being talked about just for that play, but he is a legitimately excellent football player. So good pick. Um, safety. And, of course, we have to pick the kicker and a punter as well because that's Pat Summerall, right? He was part of the yeah, Madden team. Have to. Uh, I think didn't Madden pick Pat Summerall as his punter every year? I swear probably. he did. I can't remember. I, th- I thought there was something that he would always pick Pat Summerall to be as either kicker or punter. But anyway, so for the safety position, who do you have? Uh, this is going to be my one and only Viking, Anthony Harris. Wow. Okay. Out of nowhere guy, one of the highest rated by Pro Football Focus, stepped in for Anderson Dejo, played exceptionally well. That's a good pick. I mean, he, he embodies the whole the whole thing, I think. Somebody who comes out of nowhere to really show what they can do. Now, Harrison Smith, by the way, uh, was not quite as good as he was in 2017, but still had a spectacular season and is still one of the elite players. And I it, I did think about picking Harrison for this, but instead I'm going to go with a, a young guy who showed he should have been drafted a lot higher, Derwin James, a big part of the Los Angeles Chargers uh, attack on defense, and I like a lot of the things that they do with putting in safeties and things like that. Um, and he led, he's just every led all led all safeties and pressures. I believe he was top in, and I think he also led all rookie safeties and coverage grades. All I mean, he was brilliant. And and as you said, oftentimes the teams that end up looking like they were the smartest drafters are just the ones that hung tight until the best player gets to them, and that's what happened with the Chargers. Okay, so kicker. I mean, this one uh, is not going to go to anyone in Minnesota this year. <laughs> or probably ever. <laughs> Maybe not ever. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, Daniel Carlson did go three for three on 50-plus yard kicks, so there's a part of me that wants to pick Daniel Carlson. Uh, but instead, I'm going to go old school here, a former Bear, a guy who yeah. is old as hell but just keeps kicking it in Robbie Gold. Great yeah, season and- for Robbie Gold. And to, to stay with your named themes, because obviously his nickname was Robbie Good as Gold. Oh, uh, I'm going to go with Chiefs kicker Harrison Butker. Butker, his yeah. His nickname is Harrison Butt Kicker in <laughs> in, uh, in Kansas City. So, uh, you know, he was signed off of the Carolina practice squad, I believe, week four of 2017. He's been probably the Chiefs' best kicker uh, probably since Nick Lowry and his single bar face mask uh, in the 80s and 90s. So, uh, kudos to him for solidifying a position that was a little shaky for the Chiefs. Boy, it is amazing looking at the numbers for kickers. Just how many kickers were great this year. And then there's the Vikings. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it is amazing. And and by the way, Kai Forbath went four for five, if anyone was wondering this year. he went And he, a, his only five. miss, because I was actually following this game along, his only miss was like a 57-yarder at the end of a half. Yes. So, yeah, 
I didn't eat them though. So Daniel Carlson and Kai Forbath overall kicked pretty well. Dan Bailey went 21 for 28 and was, uh, in fact, with more than 20 field goal attempts, the second lowest in the NFL. So their uh, swing at getting a different kicker who was more reliable and proven did not work out very much there. Well, Eric, this has taken a lot of your time, and I appreciate that very much because I know you're busy. Um, but it's been fun, and I'm glad we could do that, and I'm glad that you could come on all season and break things down for us with the Vikings and continue to do so in the off season. Now, let me ask you, who do you think is going to win the championship contest in the National Football League next Sunday? That is, I mean, I, I think it'll be a great game. Um, the, the, the narrative of the Rams be, beginning the, the dynasty of the Patriots by losing to them in 01 and ending it in 2018 by beating them in the Super Bowl in a different city, you know, the LA now, uh, is enticing. Um, ultimately though, and, and it's so tough because you give Belichick, I think the, the number that we came up with in the PFF era, so 2006 onward, Belichick's teams off of a bye, including playoffs, including Super Bowls, have won by an average of 10 points. Uh, their Vegas number in those games was seven points. So they've overachieved after a bye, uh, substantially in the Bill Belichick era. I think when you look at you know, what the Chiefs were trying to do against uh, New England, what, you know, they, Tyreek Hill and, and Travis Kelsey was their first game all season without a hundred yards combined. Wow. Um, but, but Sammy Watkins came up big. Damian Williams came up big. I, I gotta think our guy, Robert Woods, Brandon Cooks are going to be shut down by the Patriots if given two weeks rest. So without Cooper Cup, you're going to look at Josh Reynolds. You're going to look at tight ends that I don't think are impressive at all. And and to me, I think that's the difference. So I think the New England's going to do a good enough job of shutting down the Rams' offense. And you know, and and Tom Brady has has basically gone the entire. Yeah, I think he's the only guy in the PFF era to, to make the Super Bowl without being sacked during the first uh, X number of games in the playoffs. So they've been keeping him squeaky clean. You know, Gronk looked uh, rejuvenated the other day. Uh, obviously Edelman, and then they have a stable of running backs that I think scare scare people. So I would go with New England here. I don't think it's a blowout, but I do think that they win. I think that I am going to go with the Rams, but there's just always this aura of the Patriots too, mm -hmm. right? And yep. in terms of looking at these teams through the lens of the Vikings, I, I'm going to write a little bit more about this. They just play positionless football has become the way I, I, I like to think of it now, where they've got all these weapons going all over the place, and you never know who's going to be in the backfield, where they're going to go. Could a running back be going vertically down the field? All of a sudden, and I wouldn't advise this, but all of a sudden, Tom Brady threw like a post route to Cordero Patterson. It's like something they never would have done all season long, and he, and he goes deep down the field to Patterson. They can do so much that that – that's concerning. And when it comes to the quarterback, if Tom Brady has the ball last, then you are going to see him go win the game. And, uh, and knowing that you have that guy, boy, that's uh, that's tough to ever go against. But I think I will pick the Rams. So we'll do some more on the Super Bowl as we get closer. Eric, uh, awesome stuff. Great to have you again. The next time, um, I won't ask you to stay for this long. <laughs> but. Oh, a lot but of fun. I appreciate uh, all the time, and I appreciate all of you hanging around and listening to the Purple Podcast. 
This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.